Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. How are you doing? I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. And I can tell you, friends, that F1 is basically back. The launch dates have been announced. Honda have announced that they will have an Earth livery for their new car. Just the whole planet right there painted on the car. BAR have said they will be running two different liveries, so each driver can have their own one. Sauber is being launched by the Sugar Babes to try and one-upmanship on McLaren, who have the Spice Girls coming in to do their livery. And Alonso will be doing the Aston Martin car launch in a sleeveless leather waistcoat for some reason. But what is most apparent is that in the news items, the teams are really ramping up for 2023. Williams have finally got a new team boss in place. Why, why rush these things? Why have them in from the beginning of the year? And the FIA are looking at who should be the race director for the upcoming season. That starts in March. It's January. That seems a little tight for this kind of decision. But, you know, who am I? I'm not trained in logistics and project management. Oh, wait, I am. You should definitely know who's going to be the race director by now. They have so many things to learn. They have to learn all the rules. Does the inside car own the apex? Is it? Or, or any lapped cars before a restart. These things take time. Hi, we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? 
28 shopping days till testing, my friend. Oh, we can do it in sleeps because people really love that. Uh, I'd have to add weekends to that. So give me a minute and a pencil and paper. I'll let you know. When is testing? We'll do the, the full launch lineup in a little while. But when is testing? How long have we got to go until F1 cars are on track? February 23rd starts the only test of this season. And it's only three days long. So 23rd, 24th, 25th, and then bang, onto the track in anger. Okay, well, let's bang into the engineering world with Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well. Um, sim racing highs and lows are not exclusive to Formula One world champions. Oh, my goodness. Go and find <laughs> Max Verstappen's reaction to the Le Mans 24-hour sim series, which was hosted by R-Factor, subject to a lot of disconnects. And he, he is not happy. He thinks yep. that, you know, maybe people shouldn't prepare for something, fight for something, spend all that time and just have it taken away from them by outrageous incompetence. I see what you did there. No, um, I was he, talking about sim racing. How dare you? He does have a point and mightily frustrating. And hopefully it comes back to the platform that we favor. iRacing. Maybe. And you can catch mm. our iRacing Cup uh, in which you are the leader this season. And we had a round four at Spa last night, a really exciting broadcast. I watched it back as soon as they'd finished. And Steve, Amy, our video producer, produced a great show with Chris Stevens and Chris Catman Turner just absolutely bringing the the broadcast to life. It was fantastic. It was absolutely superb. It's always a great event. I lucked into a win that I didn't deserve in the first race, <laughs> then made a mistake and then got absolutely murdered for karma. So it was a, an, an evening of highs and lows. Go and watch it to see if me, Matt and Kyle can put our, our money where our mouths are when it comes to a, a little bit of sim racing. And we're also joined by TikTok sensation. It's Antonia Rankin. How's it going, Antonia? Hi, yeah, very good. I'm rather ungraciously and very impatiently awaiting the season to begin again. Um, but your TikTok channel has not been waiting for anything. I have to say, I, I do tend to only tune in when you're coming onto the show, but uh, I, I scrolled through your TikTok feed. It really made me laugh. There's a lot of good stuff in there and it's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. I do try. <laughs> good. And that's the best we can ask for. And we can try to pick apart the launch calendar, Matt. Obviously, some some astute people may have picked up on the fact that my intro was referring to previous F1 launches. And I swear that F1 launches used to be much more of a of a thing, whereas now they've become, I don't know, like, you, okay, here's our car launch. We've done a drawing of what the car might look like. Yeah, this is definitely an area where computers have not helped us because what, what has happened essentially is what we used to call car launches now essentially are just livery reveals with this season's livery pasted onto last season's cars. So if you want to know what direction Red Bull is going, if you want to know, will Mercedes stick with the zero pod concept, you're certainly not going to find Aww. it out on a car launch. But if you're a journalist, you might get some good free food. Okay, okay. Well, I just if, if it's not too late with the Mercedes car launch and the admins and designers are listening, if, if you just do the last year's car, the was it the... The W12, is that last year's car? 13, 13 I think. Yeah. If it turns up with just a reliveried W13 with no side pods, you are going to make us cry and there are going to be questions. So just be prepared. That's all. If you've got side pods, show us them. Show us the side pods, Mercedes. Kyle. If I was Mercedes, I would troll the F1 world and <laughs> do my, uh, my car launch, which is as we've just mentioned which is actually a livery reveal 
I would turn up with a very bulky side pod. Just just make some funny, <clears throat> humorous side pods to troll the world. And you know, at the first day of testing, they're going to turn up without side pods. Because I think all the indications <laughs> so far that they've kind of said is they're staying with this zero pod concept. But for the launch, surely it would make sense if I was in that department just to whack the on the biggest. biggest side pods I could make. <laughs> Borrow a set from Aston's first car last season and just like paste them on. Yeah, well, the thing is, though, there, there used to be like obviously these glamorous, like the Spice Girls being launched. You, you'd have, you know, drivers sitting on the wheel looking hunky and heroic. Um, whereas now you either have this livery launch or you have like a weird thing that Aston Martin did a couple of years ago, which was Lawrence Stroll just talking to the camera. And if you've ever evented, you know, attended any kind of corporate uh, annual uh, what do you call it, like state of the nation type things where the CEO, who's really not a speaker, gets up and just puts everyone to sleep for three hours. And and that is kind of, I think, the best we can hope for in terms of substance nowadays. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, actually, because I think the livery reveals, I guess, as they are now, kind of is evidence of the end of the gentleman racing era as we're moving forwards into making F1 more of a spectacle and having the cars, how they look, being a big focal point and less about, you know, these middle-class men going around every Sunday, you know, and it's becoming more of a sport and more of a show. Maybe that's why the livery reveals and the car reveals aren't what they used to be because there's so much less emphasis on those things now. What, on the driver side of it? I would say so, yeah. I think especially in the last few years with the way that the sport's grown, there is so much focus on how the cars look and what the livery is like and a lot less Uh, on the actual drivers themselves and more about them being athletes. I, I don't know, Carl. You see, with Drive to Survive, like I think, and, and if you look at this, the state of kind of F1 fandom, it does feel like there's still, or, or this is probably the most it's ever been, F1 fans in camps. So, like, for example, like watching mm. in the 90s, I can't really ever remember there being a stand full of Verstappen fans or a stand full of Hamilton fans. It was like, oh, we're all here to watch F1, and I slightly prefer Nigel Mansell because he's got a jolly good moustache. Yeah, and this is one of my gripes that we could uh, we could get onto a little bit later. But I think Antonio's got quite a good point there, as in, especially now um, with this sort of type of sort of tribalist fandom, and also with the amount of information available to just casual fans now who are now getting quite technical. That quite a lot of teams are probably quite scared of releasing any sort yeah. of technical detail because it's going to be eagle eyes from other teams but also the fans now are just pulling the cars apart sort of theoretically from everything they see so i think the teams might be slightly conscious of that it's not just that the teams now all have the tools to iterate much more rapidly whatever it is they do see they can put it on a computer test it and have it printed out for testing if they were to happen to get it in the preseason. so in that sense technology is definitely working against us here Okay, well, we can scroll down a little bit and see when these car launches are then. Williams, February 6th. So that's uh, the first one. And I think will be our, our first news item as well. Alpha Tauri, f- uh, February 11th. Aston Martin, February 13th. McLaren, February 13th. Ferrari completely ruining Valentine's Day by going on February 14th. Just look, the, That romance is going to end in heartbreak. Mercedes on the 15th. Alpine on the 15th. And oh, Red Bull have leapfrogged. Williams then by going on the third in New York, Matt, are you going to go along to the, to the Red Bull launch? Uh, it's possible. I might be there. Well, oh. then again, it's possible. I might not. Well. we'll see. We'll see what Red Bull press office has to say. Thanks so much for the invites. Anyway, I think we did a great job there of hyping everyone up for what are bound to be ultimately disappointing. I suppose sponsors, Kyle sponsors 
are interested in the the launches. Yeah, it's for the sponsors, and as you know, as we probably know, as Stefano sort of likes to go about it, it's all about the money, isn't it? Really, so it's all about getting the money through the door and getting the sponsors and pleasing them. But the funny thing about Red Bull is they were the last car to show their the last car, the last team to show their car last year. They were trying to keep their concept under wraps, and now they're going to be the first one to reveal them. So I think that tells us pretty much almost guaranteed that it's purely going to be a livery reveal yeah or that they're so confident in their concept that it's the best one that they've got nothing to hide anymore so they might as well just show it first but i highly doubt that i tell you where red bull always get an award though is for testing liveries so go and uh, go and search on the internet for red bull testing liveries my goodness some of those testing liveries are absolutely gorgeous uh, they came out with a camo testing livery which i think porsche had, had done previously in sports car uh, but they came out with this kind of it's um displacement pattern material so it's basically it's to stop you seeing the shapes and then they came out with the urban camo which was so on point for computer games like like mag and um call of duty and stuff like that at the time but absolutely beautiful and in fact i know for a fact that has been copied for a missile there is a missile out there that has the red bull DM me for more details. Uh, but yes, they're always gorgeous. They're always gorgeous, those testing liveries. So I'm, I'm hoping someone will come out in testing with something like that to to uh, to really catch our eye. All right, let's go on to some team appointments. Just looking through old emails to check I'm allowed to say the colour of that missile. Okay, let's move on. Uh, who's going to lead with this? Williams gets a new team boss. The world was absolutely shocked, I think, the F1 world a couple of days ago, or was it yesterday, when Williams announced James Valls, the Mercedes strategist, as their new team principal. I don't think anyone saw that coming, or, or, or did it? Did anyone see that coming at all? Shock from you, Antonia? You normally have your finger on the pulse. Yeah, I mean, Valls has been a very loyal servant per se of Mercedes and to see him make the switch to Williams it did seem very sudden and very out of nowhere I mean with Williams having that kind of gap in their panel per se yes it needed to be filled Mm. but you know an ex-head of strategy it is a logical step up to be a team principal but no I don't think anyone can say that they could have predicted it now is that right no 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 you've just said that as if like everyone should know so i was tempted to kind of go oh yes of course yes that is very much a natural step but is is that like the the progression do you know obviously there's a lot of money men that have entered into to formula one to be team principals and racers so obviously i'm looking at, at horner and and wolf there for those examples is there a tradition of strategists then going on to run teams It's one of those positions where, especially as head strategist, you're used to the responsibility, but also as a strategist, you're looking at 90% of the team's departments because you're considering so many factors in your work. So you need to have a very good knowledge of the team, the inner workings, and also the connections between departments. And that's something that came up with our chats with Mike Holfield, of course, you know, ex-strategist at Mercedes and Haas, saying how he was very much consulting with all the different departments. So the the things that were going on in his head and his his ideas, could they actually be uh, implemented by the car and are they within the capability of the driver and and if not how he how should he adapt them so kyle um seems like a good fit 20 years with mercedes some of the initial reaction was oh no uh, here's mercedes they've lost another senior leader yeah um i actually don't think it's like that at all um 
I think it's I think this could be a bit of a very clever long term strategy play by Mercedes. They're obviously very happy with James Vowles. He's obviously wanting to grow and progress in his career. He's already the director mm. of strategy, probably not much room above that apart from team principal. There's no room for him at Mercedes. And Mercedes might be thinking of long term gain of all. We, we might need a replacement team principal when Toto retires. So wouldn't it be great to farm off one of our, <laughs> one of our young in inverted commas talents to go and cut their teeth in one of our, um, in one of our, in one of our not B teams, but one of our um, close Ooh. technical tied teams. Got to be you careful how we say this. Championship winning <laughs> F1 um, legendary team Williams, a B yes. team. You nearly did it, Kyle. And nearly I, I did felt it. like you meant it. But wouldn't it make sense for James to go there, cut his teeth as a team principal there, and then when or if Toto retires, if he's not actually a robot, like if he doesn't <laughs> hang around forever, then James Vowles, wouldn't it be good if he just like sort of walks back into Mercedes as team principal, familiar ground, still with great relationships, but now with, say, five years of experience of team principal under his belt? Yeah, the only thing I was going to criticize about that is the Williams B team comment, because frankly, looking at McLaren, they'd be more like a C team, if I'm being honest. Wow. Okay. So I slightly save Kyle there by tempering it down and you just throw another couple of chopped logs on the fire. No one's going to argue with me. I am interested to see someone whose main purview is strategy running a Formula One team, because if anyone can say, all right, what can we get this car to do well and take maximum advantage of it? It should be a strategist. That said, I have some very real concerns about anyone turning Williams around. Williams has been being turned around since the mid-teens, as far as I can remember, and no one has walked in that door yet and managed to get everybody pointed in the same direction. Yeah, but is that because of the challenges, you know, they faced? Like, it felt like it was almost a, a managed rundown from the, the Frank Williams era where it was clear the finances weren't going well. I mean, we you know, we had these chats a few a couple of seasons back where it was a few now, my goodness, we've been doing this too long, where Williams couldn't make the first couple of days of testing. And it was clearly, you know, a finance issue, but they tried to dress it up as as this, that or the other, when clearly, you know, there was a managed decline going on. And it's a little unfair to expect anyone, especially Claire Williams or, or any of the replacements, to turn that around. Yeah, so I, I think that irrespective of the finance issue, and, and I'm going off some things that actually Alex Albon has said in recent interviews, that and just other things I have heard here and there. But he, he, here are two quotes. I'm going to read you. We've Ooh. got to look in every area. We can't just put the blame on one side of the team. He said that in a recent interview. And then he also said, there's a lot of different departments in the factory that we need to get moving and into the right direction together. And that's going to be the aim for the winter. And this is something Vowles talked about, people and culture at Mercedes being most important. So I think he sees that perhaps as his most important task. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think what Alban says is really interesting because we can't expect a team principal to come in and just flip the team around based on purely leadership quality and setting priorities. You know, whilst of course that's a huge components of that if there just isn't the money there or if maybe in the in the factory yeah there are some logistical issues where either people aren't working well together or the, there's blips in the production line there is only so much a team principal can do to come in and dust their hands off and go right come on 
let's turn this team around. And we have put a lot on William's shoulders, especially given the history of their team. I think as fans, we hold them to such a high standard because we know <laughs> that they can be good. Yeah, we man. know how legendary they are in the sport and we <sighs> want them to do well yeah. because Williams are synonymous with Formula One. So we've been perhaps a little over-optimistic about no. the capabilities oh. of team principles. However, I do say that, but I do think there is 100% the capability, especially with, you know, the drivers that are coming in. Sergeant Albin's fantastic. You know, they've got a great driver lineup, but yeah. there's just a few little things that need sorting along the way, aside from just strong leadership. Oh, Antonio, I don't want to be ageist, but there's so many middle-aged people out there right now who are just quietly muttering, no, you're over-optimistic, because there's got to be a way back for Williams. There's got to be. Uh, but, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like that that model is kind of normal or usual in Formula One. And you're right, you can't just expect a new person to come in and, and fix everything and go for the Ferrari-Darth Vader approach. Step forward, Fred. General. Or should I say general? <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, like you don't want to do the uh, Ferrari um, guillotine sort of management yeah. style. But um, yeah, so off the back of that, I think this is what Joe Capito um, was kind of criticised of. Um, I think he was quite divisive in the team. I think there is an inherent, and I think uh, Matt sort of um, sort of touched on this. I think there might be an inherent culture sort of issue at Williams. And I think apparently Joe Capito, Capito has come in and tried to either sack people or try and tell them that oh, you're going to really? do it my way and do it with leadership. And I think there's half of the team want to sort of go with him oh. and the other half are like, no, like who's this guy? We don't think. And I think the team's a bit split inside. So this is maybe what Val's, is, Val's means with his comments of culture and people get everyone aside and moving forward. But this, this goes back a long way. In the Mark Webber book, he even alludes to a bad culture within Williams. It's like a small family-run business and people stuck in their ways not wanting to change. And I think Capita tried to solve this and cause some uh, waves in the business. That's really interesting you say that because that is such a good point. Whilst Williams's fantastic history is a huge strength of the team and that's why it's been kept alive by fans in the hope that they will be great as they used to be. There might also be things going on behind the scenes where workers are reluctant to take on this whole new leadership style where someone's coming in and changing everything. Because, you know, with it being an ex-family business, there will be people who are really passionate mm. about what they're doing and about passionate in a certain way. So I do think perhaps actually if people are coming in and saying, right, I'm changing this, this, this and this, and that's my plan to make Williams great again, people might push hats. back on that. They should have hats. Make <laughs> Williams great again. So from a Mercedes point of view, you might say, okay, well, that's they're losing a good strategist. You could see it as bad from that. But from a purely Williams point of view, and you see this guy coming in, if you were a Williams fan and you're saying, what can he bring to the team? I think the one thing that I would want from Mercedes is the the niceness and the corporate kind of attitude that Mercedes seem to have. And, and unless it's wrong, unless like we've misinterpreted it from the outside, uh, please, my DMs are open. I never reveal my sources. So uh, tell me if I'm right here. It does feel like like a lovely engineering environment where they have this stated no blame culture where they move forward once things have gone wrong it's very much you know a, a, a team process whenever you've heard interviews oh they did a brilliant one on beyond the grid with 
James Vowles and uh, Andrew Chovlin, and I can't remember who else, but they just seemed like the nicest, calmest people. And as a Williams fan, I, I would hope that he's going to bring some of that. So come in, make the team more corporate, bring in a bit of kind of, I, I, people don't like the term like political correctness, but it was, you know, it's uh, what did Stuart Lee call it? Enforced politeness. So let's everybody be nice and lovely or get out. Yeah, well, I think he can bring it. And perhaps coming from Mercedes, he's got enough of a halo to get the team to buy in. Yes. But at the end of the day, if the team doesn't buy in, he's he's stuck with his culture and he's going to have to solve it the harder way. Yeah, I will say on the culture thing, it's it's I do often refrain from talking about inside these teams' cultures because, of course, we don't we know don't what's know. going yeah. on behind closed doors. It's so difficult to call it correctly. And, Wildly you know, same speculate. With- uh, I will it's refrain. The <laughs> However, yes, from the outside, the I, I've often attributed Mercedes's success to just being an incredibly well-oiled machine. But you know, with that being said, it is very easy to be optimistic and positive when you've won title after title after title. And from Williams' perspective, I'm sure it's very easy to also be very grumpy and ready for change if perhaps it's been a while and you're itching for another title killer comment from mark in the in the live patron chat um, james vows we're gonna make this into a race winning team the team members replying with well that's not how claire used to do things yes i think that i think that goes back to the whole <laughs> not being pat- particularly willing maybe to the, to accept the new culture of let's get in and let's get this done but well the parallel i want to draw here and i want to draw it because and i am admitting this I was actually wrong about something. Wait, what? It's true. I don't know if anyone remembers the first season of Drive to Survive. Yeah. It's the one I watched from start to finish. Yeah, me too. Mm. Uh, But do you remember Zach Brown on that? Yeah. Yeah. And and I watched him and I thought, wow, this guy is just, he's, whatever, He's, he's a talker, he's not a doer, I have no hope for McLaren. And you know what? I was completely wrong. Because that was a, uh, that was an organization. No, that's what I thought based on yeah. his presence in Drive to Survive. But he took an organization that was in utter disarray organizationally and culturally after a massive ownership battle. He absolutely got rid of the correct people, kept the correct people, and turned that team around. And this, to me, is what Williams has been missing since, I don't know, 2014, 2015 or so? That, well, okay. Okay. Ooh, okay. So you're saying he turned that team around. Yes, they'd come off the back of the... It was after the Honda de- debacles and all the yep. GP2 engines and stuff. And what, it's McLaren. It's a, 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 again, a championship-winning team. He's turned them around to not really being anywhere close to the top three. Is that a turnaround, Kyle? I think not in terms of performance, but in terms of how the team is perceived and how they come across. So McLaren were, in particularly in the Ron era, you know, did you think Gray, Peas, John Major, and Norman Major? Did even Peas the spitting image sketch? Um, yeah, uh, just very, very boring, very stuffy, very, very corporate. And now they've gone back to the orange. They look a bit more human, a bit more approachable, okay. a bit more of a fun, happy-go-loving sort of team. So I think that's what I mean. Is turn the culture around maybe in McLaren because remember there was um oh, what was his name the ex Lotus Renault guy who went there and then that, and then basically had to 
falling Boulier. sword and think, uh, yeah, yeah, Eric Boulier, because Alonso basically said he needs to be sacked and he, he ended up walking and stuff. So it was a terrible environment in that team. And then Zach Brown's come in and now the team looks quite hunky dory. So the, the results haven't come yet. Maybe they're a couple of years away after the culture change, but he's certainly changed. McLaren now to me look like a fun, nice team rather than the, uh, the, the, the gray clear cleaning the gravel on your driveway type Ron Dennis team that they were before. Yeah, I will say actually, from most perspective, McLaren are looking to be very strong, especially for next season with Piastri coming in to marry up with a now very experienced and very promising Lando Norris. But from all angles, they're a very, very strong team in F1 generally, I think, in terms of their presence in the sport with the history, that their driver lineup good team principle from a marketing perspective they've got two young drivers who are very easy to support very likable and I do think that they are in probably the best position they've been in a long time to really really pursue a world championship whoa whoa I thought you said to like to move on world championship when when Antonia well it's not as easy as just Piastri coming in and all of a sudden March? everything's sunshine and rainbows. Mm. I wouldn't say much. <laughs> I think I will say I'd be very surprised not to see them high up in the in the championship standings this year. Please, oh, please don't jinx that. Touchwood, um, but um, save I, I would say by 2025, if McLaren aren't very, very much up there fighting for P1 in both championships, then they must have gone wrong somewhere. Yeah, so I'm just going to lead with. For a team that is no longer a works team, that is a very, very, very big ask. But I will pose this hypothetical to you with regards to Brown being the architect, if not the um, actual builder of the team. Imagine if Ricardo simply doubled his point score last year, not even scored roughly as much as Lando did. Like at Alpine, we had Alonso and Ocon in, in similar boats points wise they would have crushed Alpine and they would have been fairly close to Mercedes across the whole of the season. It's not that they can't build a car. It's that they built a car that only one of their drivers could drive last season. And I'm really curious to see if either they get a second driver in who can drive that car or if they turn the car around so that both of them can make good use of it. Surely, though, that must just be a case of lesson learned, though, for McLaren. I mean, of course, every team does it to a certain extent. You tune the car in one direction more than another. But I do think surely they won't make that same mistake again. Surely they'll come into the next season with Piastri and Lando and go, right, let's make a car that is drivable for both drivers. Because, of course, all Formula One teams want to develop a car that both drivers will be able to drive. Which brings us to our next item. Dirty news. That was quite good, that. Come on, give me some props. Give me some sugar, panel. That was a decent segue. Okay, so Perez says he can fight for the world championship this season. That is what he is he's looking for. That's what save your derision till the end, Kyle. I haven't finished the intro segment of it yet. Okay, so he says that. And most people, including me as a Sergio Perez fan, are, are listening to that and going, no, probably not, because you're talking about being up against Max Verstappen, who is in his ascendancy. He is having an, a moment. You know, when they talk about like actors having, or oh, they're having a moment, they're in everything. Tom Holland's in everything. Max Verstappen's having his moment right now. It's years of karting and single seaters, and or was it one year in single seaters? And, and then, and then 
years of just knocking every bit of carbon fiber off every other car whilst in a Toro Rosso has led to this moment where he is a dominant force in Formula One. And Perez just casually goes, yeah, I think I'm going to push for the title this year. That sounds massively deluded. So I, either Perez thinks that he is just, he just needs to find that something and then he's going to get a run on Verstappen and the team are going to favor him. Or he knows something political in the background where he knows that, I don't know, Red Bull are a little annoyed at Verstappen and they're going to gently kind of vettel him out, a la Ferrari with Leclerc. Um, but on the face of it, Kyle, this just seems like an unrealistic thing for Perez to say when that Red Bull is so built to Max Verstappen and the whole team is Max Verstappen. Well, yeah, and naturally the whole team is is developed around Max Verstappen. And yeah, you're quite right in saying, yes, I, am. I, you know, I think the only way realistically that he could, you know, take Paris's comments at face value and be actually serious is if he's got some serious yeah. dirt to dish yeah. on one of them in the team, you know, he's discovered helmet Marcos are never nude and wears cut off jeans. Uh, <laughs> shorts And he's going to release it to like the public or something. I think that is the only way that you can actually take that comment. Okay, seriously. Everyone, everyone go and watch Arrested Development uh, to get that reference. Uh, <laughs> Matt, uh, Matt first, Matt, come in and then we'll get Antonio, please. Yeah. I want to catch my breath from that. Oh my goodness. No, I was thinking it's like the old World War II movies where you just hit the pilot in the head with the wrench and climb into the car for him is the only way for, uh, is the only way for stop and will lose a world championship to Perez because fundamentally, and we saw it last season, Red Bull is developing a car that Max mm. can drive fast and Perez for all of his talent and skill cannot drive that kind of a car as fast as Max can. Yes. And the only reason we're even having this discussion is because at the start of last season, there we go. they actually had a car Perez was faster yes. in, and he looked and he looked he looked decent. I'm not saying he looked better than Verstappen necessarily, but you could see a probably truer reflection of the gap between those two drivers when that car was understeering. They that isn't public knowledge; it's not something we're guessing. They made the car less understeery to suit Verstappen, and that performance went away. There's so many aspects of this that I could unpack as to why I don't think. Perez is on track for a title and it's so unfortunate but I really do strongly believe this namely because they are such different drivers changing the car to one negatively impacts the other so I would very much struggle to understand why they would move away from tailoring the car towards Max in favor of Perez I see no reason yeah well he's a trialed and tested world champion yes and and he's immensely fast immensely talented and I really don't mean to say that to negate how good Checo is. Yeah. However, it's counterproductive to turn everything around in it. In as as has been said, a team that is very much built around Verstappen to suddenly backtrack and go, "Oh, actually, we're going to prioritise Perez now." You could understand it with with Vettel because he'd he'd failed to win a couple of 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 titles when they really did have a shot in 2017 and 2018. He failed, and then yeah, 2019. You know. They used not the correct amount of fuel at all the correct times. So you could see why they might think, oh, there's a change needed. Why on earth? Why on earth would you change what isn't broken at Red Bull unless, as Matt says, or as Kyle said, you know, there's there's some photos circulating. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, well, the thing that I love about this is the only reason we're having this discussion, and here's where I cleverly turn this into a complicated engineering chat, despite your best wishes, is because the fundamental nature of the aerodynamic regulations and of the development of the Red Bull caused them to show up with a car that suited Perez. In order to really explain it well, I'm going to ask Kyle, because he's an actual engineer. (laughs) <laughs> a very bad one i have to say but yeah um, so verstappen did quite a good interview and come out and said this that the understeery cars cannot be cannot be fast and that is quite a quite a statement but a very true statement as well so verstappen is a you know maybe a once in a generation talent and he can deal with the car you know like a like a hamilton like a schumacher like a senna was and he can get the most potential out of a car so he needs the car and wants the car on the nose which then naturally makes the rear a bit more skittish so if you're coming into a corner if the car as what we call is on the nose and a bit pointy the front will get really well but it brings a bit more jeopardy into it like the rear is a bit snappy you have to be comfortable with the rear the rear moving around and the car wagging its tail which is now i can tell you it's not a very comfortable feeling in whatever you're um, in whatever you're driving when the rear is stepping out going into corners now Perez doesn't like this feeling clearly his much more his drive natural driving style where we can get performance is much more aligned to an understeery type car so that's mm-hmm. why at the start of the season we saw they were quite close in performance Max could sort of match him and be a bit quicker but couldn't really go the next step now when the car got on the nose Perez then obviously will naturally lose confidence in the car and can still keep his previous level of performance, but can't take it any further. Mm. Whereas Max could then utilize that extra turning capability, deal with the snappiness of the rear end and get the ultimate performance. So naturally the team will always go to try to extract the ultimate performance. I even see. If it perceived. Okay. One of the other drivers. Right. I, I see what you're saying there. Right. So it's like it's not a case of let's favor one style over the other but we just go right we've if we go in one direction we've got a driver who can probably get more um if we go the other direction they might well be even and fighting for but but our overall potential won't quite be there now i do want to come back to driving styles but antonia what were you getting in with yeah well it's just like kyle said max is a once in a generation talent he's reliable he can extract the absolute maximum from a car and 
Red Bull know this. There's a reason that two drivers pushing for a world championship at once in the same car at the same time really doesn't work. And there's a reason it's that teams though. really prefer not to do that nowadays. Yeah, it's not fun for them. It's fun for us. <laughs> oh, it's great as fans. But, I, you know, Perez knew when he was signing on to Red Bull that he was Max Verstappen's yeah. support driver and he'd yes. collect some money from some wins along the way, get some glory, a lot of fan appreciation for him. I have a lot of time of day for Perez. He's a fantastic driver, but... He is the second driver. And for him to say, I'm going to come up and be the world champion well, yeah. is not correct. But on the other hand, you know, what do we want him to say? So, uh, Sergio, uh, what are your hopes for 2023? And you go, well, to be honest, it's not looking good, lads. I was in the board meetings. No one looked at me. The engineering people, when they were asking for requests for setup, I, I put my hand up and I waited patiently. No one came to me, not even once. Um, so I'm just going to phone it in for 23. I'm going to take the money and hope I can fluke the odd Baku. I'm quite good at street tracks. So, so yeah, so on, on the one hand, Carl, what do we expect him to say? Yeah, exactly. This is the almost prescribed delusion that racing drivers need to have <laughs> to thinking that they're all the best you know and he absolutely has to have this so um so you can't blame him for making a comment like this now what was really interesting i found about max's um sort of um comment about the understeery cars cannot be fast and the problems they were having earlier in the year was it was all mainly caused by weight so the car was slightly overweight which then and also they're slightly underperforming pirelli front tires which i think caught all the teams out they're like yeah it's a massive change in the tires as well to like the um low profile and it was just naturally understeery so so Verstappen really wanted more of a front end on it and where it really his fortune started to change is when they managed to get the ultimate weight of the car down so then they could start moving ballast around so Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't just get the car down to like the minimum weight and be like, right, that's great. We've got minimum weight. You want to get the car under minimum weight. So then you have weight to play with and you can put that weight where you want to make the car behave the way you want. So if it's yeah. understeery, you put more weight on the front. If you want more traction, you put more weight on you, the rear. You put and more weight on the front because as you're braking, the weight moves forward quicker and bites the front down into the tarmac, giving you more grip. Yeah, it's yeah. giving more load on the front, essentially. You know, downforce adds weight. Essentially, you're pushing down, you getting more load on the front obviously that you know it's not a completely linear linear relationship but basically you can then move the ballast where you need it to get a bit more rotation into Mm -hmm. the car so as soon as they had the ability to do that they could actually move the car to Mm. max's preference and get the ultimate performance out of it now i've got some stupid questions to ask i'll keep them to myself and let matt say things in the hope that they will be answered and save me from having to do that yeah, well, it turns out in reading uh, Max's comments, it was particularly the low-speed corners where he suffered. And I, I know that, that Kyle has mentioned that having the weight forward and braking, but all the weight transfers to the front and braking. The real issue, I think, for Max was that as you come off of the brakes and as the downforce comes off of the car, the weight begins to transfer back to the rear of the car. And that's why the ballast you mentioned is so important because it keeps some weight on the nose. There are other ways to mitigate it, differentials, your suspension settings, and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, you're fighting against this rearward shift of the weight. And because they had no weight to play with, Uh, they had in low-speed corners a very understeery car. That makes sense. I I followed some of that. I I did. Okay, uh, um, I'll try again. I'll try again. Try, and, try again and, <laughs> and confuse me. Okay, just pretend it's tech time. Okay, which I listen to religiously. 
I know you do, but only all the to way, help you fall asleep. All the way through. I do sometimes listen to it to fall asleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wake up in the morning going, oh, I learned nothing. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll go switch back to Carl for a second for, for driving styles. Uh, because it's Billy Basics. I don't always, I'm not always able to wrap my head around this. But if the car is understeery, is basically is, is when you try to turn into the corner, it, it has a it wants to continue going on. So it's less compliant. Yeah. So, it wants, so you have to kind of do the work earlier, take the, take the, the pace off earlier and then like do the work like early into the apex and get on the power earlier, perhaps as well. Whereas the, if you've got oversteer, you just kind of sling it in, plant the throttle and then just deal with the, the back end. Is that too simple an explanation? And, and do you believe Verstappen's statement that it's impossible for the understeery car to be fast because I know both you and I prefer an understeery setup. Um, yeah, with all things in life, it's quite complicated. It's not so simple. So there are two schools Make of thought. It really simple. <laughs> there are two schools of thought really in dealing with understeering. You could either be ultra aggressive with the steering in points and throw the car at the corner, a la Alonso two thousand if it's understeering two thousand and six. If it's yeah. understeering. Yeah. Or you're very, very gentle. And as our very own sort of Bradley Philpott has said, you know, imagine the steering wheel is attached to a rubber band to like the front tires and gently coax it in to keep the front tires connected. Now, I think you and I have got very similar driving styles. I think we're more in the, in the latter that we're very (laughs) gentle, tippy toe, gentle connect the car in and then then you play with the throttle you stab it i've said this on this podcast um, a while ago uh it's more like like a seesaw it's about weight transfer so if yeah. you blip the throttle you then try to get some weight transfer on the front to make the front tires load up then the car will rotate but, then you then you can fire out and that's the only way i've been able to be slightly competitive in in karting or sims and especially with karting it's very understeery in our sims we run understeer because it's harder to crash an understeery car um mm. but that's that's the only way i've been able to do it and then so you get that kind of breaking early you make sure you you've got the pace and then it's all about trying to move the weight and rotate the car getting it pointed in that right direction whereas the oversteery guys in the oversteery cars will just be cranking the steering on probably breaking later into the corner and and being more aggressive on the more more, more direct on the throttle well they're probably being they're probably having actually less inputs than the aggressive understeer sort of right. drive. So they're probably being nice and sort of light and very direct and pointy, but they have the ultra reactions and they're just purely comfortable with the rear sliding a little bit and they and they can just then drive through it and not overreact. So what a lot of people watching at home don't really appreciate is they're not just sitting there like you are on a game or a sim. Sim, They are under like four or five G, yeah. sort of lateral G. There is a lot of noise. Driving a race car is inherently violent and scary. And when you're in the middle of that thing, confidence and natural reflexes it is absolutely everything, even for a professional driver. So if you're going in there and you're a professional driver and you do not like that feeling of the rear starting to come around on you, you are naturally not going to push the limits. Whereas someone like Verstappen or a Hamilton will be very comfortable with the car snapping on them. And even though that's happening, they still will know, have the belief that they can collect it up and they can get the lap <laughs> yeah. time. But that is where they get their performance. And that's where they go the extra mile where some drivers can't. Don't avoid my question. Is Verstappen right? Is it impossible yes. for an understeery car to be fast? Um, I don't think it's impossible. I think when he's saying fast, he means probably like ultimately fast, you know, like actually get it to the absolute limit. I I like I could break a lap record with a car which is quite pointy and I could make the most of it. But if my car's understeering, then it's not going to be spectacular. So I think you know fast is relative, but I think largely he is correct in his statement. Can I just say that he has a vested interest in that being true and convincing the people who decide decide what setup direction to go in 
to, to convince them to make that happen. So, so he definitely would say that even if it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And also, this is relative between tracks as well, because they will set up naturally depending on the nature of the track. So somewhere like Baku, they might want it ultimately a little bit more understeery because it's all about rear tyres and traction. So you want to protect the rear tyres and stuff like that said. But I think it's a general sweeping statement. I'd say that's true what you said there. And I would agree with you because the engineers will sit down for the car and their ideal setup and, and calculate a potential lap time. And that's not based on what either driver likes. That's based on what the engineers think. And if you see the car moving as much as the Red Bull did, it's not just moving because Max asked for it to be that way. It's moving because the engineers have done all the maths oh, and, thanks, and convinced themselves <laughs> that, 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 is the, that is the fastest way for the car to be. But it can also help to think of understeer oversteer as kind of a gradient rather than as a fixed thing. And it's worth knowing that the more stable the car is on entry to the corner, because drivers think about straight line braking, entry, mid-corner, and exit. But as we get into corner entry, the more stable it is, the more understeer, sorry, the more understeer it's naturally going to have through the mid-corner section where you're both off the throttle and the brakes, which drivers do tend to minimize that, but does happen. And I think that in the slow corners is where Max was really complaining is it was just taking ages because Mm. your front tires are dragging and it's just scrubbing speed off of the car. And that's why most drivers who are like quick, quick, quick tend to prefer a pretty neutral balance or a slightly pointy one because they can get through that rotational bit in mid corner quicker and get onto the throttle. In fact, I think now of an old top gear, that I saw one time where BMW programmed a car to drive around the top gear track and it was load slower than a driver. And when they looked at the, when they looked at it, at the telemetry, they said, Oh, well, here's what's happening. The driver is actually using the throttle to steer through these corners and gaining massive amounts of time, but we've not taught our robot car to do (laughs) that yet. And so I think this is really kind of the point that we're getting to which goes to Kyle's confidence with the car feeling unsettled. But if you can manage it, it's always quicker. Absolutely. And it's also... Ah, I pressed the bumper and then Kyle started saying things. (laughs) Sorry, I was making, in my defense, I was making all sorts of visual cues. I was saying, let's move on now. But no, let's, this had better be the best analysis and insight ever, Kyle. Here it comes. Here, everybody stand by for the best ever analysis that was worthy of interrupting my bumper. (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to say with the great drivers, that's how you know the great drivers will adapt to whatever situation that they find themselves in. Like with Alonso in 2005 and 2006, I don't think this was a conscious effort to have a car and to drive so aggressively. The car was just very understeery and he developed this throw the car at the corner style to deal with it. Same thing like earlier last year when the car did not suit Verstappen at all and he wasn't happy with it, mm. he was still, you know, Perez wasn't clearly faster or the standout better driver. No, they were very closer. close to it. Yeah. So Verstappen would adapt. But then when the car moved towards Verstappen's sort of like more preference, Verstappen could go the extra level and Perez couldn't quite keep up with him. But that's the difference between a great driver and a very good driver. Six out of 10 would allow that interruption again. Hey, Do you like speaking to me and and to a lesser extent, Matt? 
Well, we've got something that we think might be reasonably fun to do if you're uh, a patron of Missed Apex Podcast. Now, you like my idea, Matt? I, I actually really do like your idea. Okay, I'm well, a fan of it. Okay, we both like pubs, not giving anything away from our about our lifestyles but we both like pubs and we both don't mind transferring that to the online world and drinking at home alone but with the excuse of having people in a virtual space yes and so this is our general plan (laughs) to offer up our what expertise yeah well no alcoholism a company i would have said a company in the space of f1 fans so it's not something we're going to charge for but i've taken inspiration from the live audiences with joe where basically you have joe there and people attend and take turns they put their hands up and they bring up a topic so that the conversation of the evening is led by the people that are involved and it is purely just based on you know who comes in who puts their hand up and who leads the conversation it's not content it's sitting there having a chat i mean it could be a sneaky way to come up with content if i'm honest with you Matt. it could be although it reminds me a lot of the ancient greek seminar which actually not being an academic thing was turned out to be a drinking party and a conversational thing so there I you actually, go i actually know what that new. is that is worth that is worth um researching so yes yeah, so we're adding to our patreon perks basically and it's something that's probably long overdue as well as our extra patron content we are going to have these virtual uh, Mr. Apex patron pub nights and basically we'll go down the tiers and we'll send invites out. Um, it won't be, it won't be a case of, you know, uh, if you're on the lowest tier, you'll, you won't get in. I think we'll just, we'll run as many of those evenings as we can fill going down the tiers. Um, so do sign up to be a patron, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. See if any of those tiers are right for you, but it's just an ongoing way for us to try and, and basically say thank you to the people who have, supported us through patron um patreon because we would not be here without patron support um so whilst these aren't things that you are kind of buying uh, we look at the amount of support we get from patreon and we go we really want to do more stuff and when we thought about the the virtual pub night we thought that was a no-brainer so if you're a patron look out for an invite to a, a missed apex virtual pub night coming to you soon <laughs> if you didn't live so far away we could do real mistake Apex pub nights but whatever whatever matt that's your fault for living in the wrong country if i showed up there next week you couldn't make it my friend so <laughs> i don't want to hear about it i will be in england nearly next week close to that um but speaking of the virtual world uh, we have with us somebody who does things on a medium that we do not understand and cannot fathom you are making quite a swing of that tiktok thing ms rankin yes i i think i transcend middle-aged people's capacity to understand (laughs) but no don't worry i make it accessible it's fine even for baby boomers like yourself oh my god that's so (laughs) that's so hurtful i had more nice things lined up to say but now i don't want to say them no uh, oh no say them anyway pet my ego uh, a bit we do have a bit of kind of a you know a swing a bias towards kind of the the parent age listener here at missed apex and and there is a lot of skepticism you know people go i don't care what some tiktoker says they're not even a hundred years old we have sent Mr. Apex listeners to your channel and they have enjoyed it. I have to say there is a lot of TikTok content which is very surface level, but you've somehow mixed the the fun and dynamic dynamic nature of TikTok with some real good analysis and strategic analysis, tech analysis, and some just some genuinely funny, joyous stuff. Well done. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I have a lot of fun picking apart the technical <laughs> stuff, but uh, sometimes it's fun just to muck around a bit. <laughs> and but there is a lot of there is a lot of gatekeeping with oh, just some TikToker, isn't there? 
Oh, massively. Mm. Yeah. I think generally speaking, I'm setting myself up for a lot of gatekeeping, being <laughs> young, blonde, How dare you? a girl <laughs> yes. and a TikToker. But no, I think in the process of, I guess, in a way, trying to prove myself, it's been really fun, you know, building a community and meeting loads of people who I, I see everyone kind of as like my little internet friends that we just kind of nerd out about exactly, F1 yeah. a lot online. Yeah. So it's quite nice. I it's can, like a little I can, circle. I can relate to that because I never had anyone to talk to about Formula One. And just building a community like this was mainly just to reach out in the first place to, to speak to people who cared about Formula One. And you're building that same thing. And obviously, like you were part of probably a first wave, really, of of, of this the big bulk of women content creators that suddenly just came alive in recent years and, and so you had to probably take a bit of a brunt of people going what a woman talking about formula one what's all this oh yeah no that's exactly what they sound like mm. you completely yes. nailed yeah. that wow yeah. yeah gosh that's a bit suspicious that you're so good at that impression yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no a hundred percent there's a there is a lot of that and there still is a lot of that but uh thankfully through making more videos and building a platform and a community, those kind of things have become a lot more peripheral now. <laughs> and, and the thing is, though, with your content, Antonia, there is no doubt you have uh, Formula One knowledge, but more importantly, that you love and live Formula One and motorsport. Although you are, you're, you're sneaking off into Formula E territory. I hope we're not going to lose you to that. Oh, don't worry. I'll stay very loyal to Formula One. I was more intrigued at the claims that it was like Mario Kart. I was just interested. <laughs> and I can gladly confirm that no, whilst it has all of the all. charm of Mario Kart, it is a bit different. It is just a little bit different. Now, the reason I'm bringing up your uh, your TikTok content is because we're going to steal some of it. Uh, but Shocking. do go and follow her by typing in into your internet machine, TikTok forward slash F1 Antonia. Does that yeah. get you there? Or just search yeah. for F1 Antonia TikTok and you'll see the content. Um, one of the most recent ones was things to leave behind in 2022 in F1. So I put out a tweet. We put it in our Slack group. We've got some listener answers to that. But we'll start with the panel. Antonia Rankin, what should we leave behind in 2022? I'm going to launch straight into a topic that's caused some friction between panel members before. And that's sausage curbs. <laughs> okay. I, I absolutely can't i cannot get behind them at all they're dangerous they cause damage to the cars there are other ways to dissuade drivers from cutting corners that can firmly stay in 2022 i do not want to see any more drivers being launched into the air landing on top of other cars any of that that's enough no more sausage curbs for me okay, in 2023 what are sausage curbs trying to achieve they're trying to say well you can't just go anywhere you want so it's a physical barrier yes. I, I hate gravel traps because they used to just rob us of, of half the grid unnecessarily um sausage curbs okay let's say there wasn't a safety like the launching is it just the launching that is the objection mainly yeah it comes it comes from a safety perspective whilst i i i see the merit in gravel traps because i think they're kind of self-policing a driver avoids them because they know how much of a headache they are and they work as an excellent deterrent but yeah for me it's the safety perspective on the sausage curbs i just think there's safer ways to dissuade drivers from cutting a chicane brick wall kyle Brick wall, and or oh my goodness, get rid of chicanes completely, then it won't be an issue. Jeez, <laughs> no, chicanes are not necessarily bad. Chicanes can be good. Wrong. Chicanes can be good. Okay. Um, I've got a little theory. <laughs> I've got a little theory. Um, to get rid of sausage curbs, there. Put this is going to sound crazy, but they've kind of already done it a little bit at play tracks like Paul Ricard, which is why it looks like a magic eye. 
high abrasive strips of almost like sandpaper and sort of several strips. So when you do skip and you go over it, it doesn't destroy your car. It doesn't flick up in the air, but it ruins your tires. So you, you get penalized of it and then you'll probably take a lot of tire life out. So a super high abrasive tarmac, which will then ruin your tires. So you get penalized, but you're not out of the race. That's what I'd do. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, actually, just lining the tracks edges with sandpaper perhaps but no (laughs) that brings me back to another thing that was on my list that I would rather not see in 2023 Paul Ricard I apologize because I think it is so important for French fans to have a Grand Prix I really do and I'm a huge advocate for a French Grand Prix just not at Paul Ricard for me it's a great testing track it's a good place to have cars going mm. round, but for me, not as a Formula One Grand Prix. I'm aware that's probably controversial. No, no because th- there is a big, there's a big contingent of Formula One fans who say get rid of Paul Ricard, and I, I, I understand the sentiment. What I don't understand is why Paul Ricard hasn't like listened to some of the criticism and the feedback and made an effort to fix it. Because you could, you could line it with street furniture you could line it with track furniture you could you could just put in you could install some curbs couldn't you you could install some proper looking curbs you could put some foam there just to make it look like a real corner matt they could do things that would make it not a hated track it is a hated track especially with the young people like antonia she's confused by it there's too many turns i can't can you put the racing on line on so i can understand where the track's going Honestly, in the old days, they just stick some spectators out there to help the drivers know where the turns are. <laughs> just put some people out on the corners. But yeah, it does really struggle with that that thing where the camera's on the car, you, you're looking at an overtake, and then the cars turn, and you didn't even know that that was the end of the straight because there was track ahead. Yeah, no, the new alternative to sausage curbs is now race spectators. That's how we deal with overcrowding at Grand Prix. I think that's a fantastic idea. Just get small children to lay down on a chicane. Okay, before I get sued or something, in all seriousness, Paul Ricard, I, I admire what they tried to do. I just wish they would do something slightly different just to get some flavor into the track it, it, yes like look I, I don't think street furniture or, or track furniture to make it look like a, a quote-unquote real track would be impossible i don't think it's inherently a bad layout kyle it's not like tight and twisty like hungaroring it's not surrounded by walls and and hedonism like monaco so why not why not just make spice it up a bit make it look a bit pretty i'm actually one of the rare few fans of Paul Ricard out there. So I disagree with Antonia there. Like I'm, I think if the only gripe about Paul Ricard is that it looks a bit stripy and doesn't look very well, I think people are kind of missing the point. The track layout is actually superb. If you've ever gone and played the F1 game or drive it, it's brilliant. It actually yielded us a very good race last year. Um, and it's a classic race. So I don't really mind too much about the aesthetic things. I'm not watching a circuit for it to look pretty. I want the cars to look good. So yeah, a bit more track furniture to get the speed yeah. of the cars, but the actual layout is really, really, really good. So I want it to stay, maybe paint the lines some different colors if people are that worried about how pretty it looks. But no, so I'm oh, no, actually on. one of the rare Paul Ricard fans. I don't here. think that's a shallower point as like, because atmosphere is important. The view exp- experience is important. What if they had, you know, Wembley Stadium, but they just put it in a Tesco's car park? You know, it wouldn't be, it would yeah. be the same game. It would be the same pitch. It would be the same goals, but you would definitely lose something, wouldn't you? Sorry, Antonia. I will agree with Kyle. I don't. I don't oh, want to appear as though I'm. He hates it. Oh, he's 
He wants okay, I will partially agree uh. with Kyle. I will very slightly <laughs> agree with Kyle. A minute agree. <laughs> I am not entirely fixed in the fact that I dislike Paul Ricard. I do genuinely think that productive changes can be made. It's not like mm. it's a track where you can't switch up the track profile. Like you, you know, Monaco, you can't do anything about that. Yes. It's just Monaco. Whereas Paul Ricard, it could be so good. The issue is no steps have been taken, yeah. like you said, to take yeah. on board mm. fans' feedback because the concept is there. And I, I really think we do need French Grand Prix. I mean, I want a German Grand Prix as well. Yes. That's a separate point, oh, yeah. though. No, bring that up. And the, <laughs> and the thing is, the German tracks are, are great. Like, I can't... love Hockenheim. Hockenheim oh. 2019, 2018 even. The German Grand Prix are always giving what they need to oh, give. Now, bring them now, back. Now we're chatting. Ring. Now we're chatting. Now we're chatting. Now, like, Nürburgring yeah. might have a, is a bit Barcelona-y, so it's, like, it's a little bit tight, maybe, for modern F1 cars. Kyle, do you think a little bit? Uh, there are... There aren't many overtaking opportunities, but when it has gone, I think 2020 we were there previous time, it does throw up pretty mm. decent races, but there is one big overtaking opportunity into turn one and then into the chicane. Apart from that, it's so get pretty rid of processional. The, get rid of the chicane and we're sorted. <laughs> or or flip we? to the other chicane, the high-speed yeah. chicane. Yeah, oh, the, the high-speed chicane is actually reasonable, where, yeah, where it carries on a bit mm. further and goes round. And then uh, what was it? what's the other track? Hockenheim. Hockenheim, right. Hockenheim. Ho- now, Hockenheim, that's a great track. You've got that you know, a big long straight into the hairpin. And then, and basically, well, we're not going to bring back the forest. No one wants the forest, no. do we? No, because that was boring. It, go oh. back and watch old Hockenheim races. It, it just was, took forever. It was a little bit boring, but it was spectacular. What a spectacle of seeing the cars go through the trees like that. But yeah, and also with really long tracks, a bit like Spa, if you're going there as a spectator, you only got to see the cars 44 times you see them at Spa. Yeah. I think it was only 47 at Hockenheim. So the actual crowd there are not really getting <laughs> their money's worth. Yeah, no. With Hockenheim, I think that could be a time of year issue because Hockenheim, throw in some rain and you've got yourself the best race of the season, without a doubt. And I, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna make a very strong point about this. I I d- do really want a German Grand Prix. Mm. I don't. I think yeah. it's taken off the calendar just due to funding issues. You know, the the same old story, really. But I I think it's such a shame. You know, especially yeah. in countries like Germany that are so integral to motorsport. Well, well they had, how are they not represented? They had a a switch, didn't they? Where they had one year Nurburgring and one year and Hockenheim for mm. for a little while. But I think a lot of it was put down to the fact that Schumacher had a, a really big following. And and I've heard this is Joe Sayward has said that that was down to him having like a big uh, working class following and everyone would have like mullets. And, 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 yeah. and that demographic didn't follow Sebastian Vettel into Formula One and didn't throw their weight behind him because he was seen as somehow, you know, more, more middle class. Although... I think, you know, with today's with today's grids, I think you you know, you probably wouldn't be expected to be the one to to buy a round of drinks. Um so yes, a German Grand Prix for sure. Um the the problem with your French Grand Prix not at Paul Ricard is that it would be Manicore, which but do you know what my memory, it's gone. It's gone from my memory, to be honest, Kyle. Manicore. Manicore has thrown up some amazing races over the years. It has one overtaking opportunity oh, and yes you and one well, no, but it's a major one down mm. into the i can't remember what it's called i think it might be it's not imola because all the corners are named after other tracks at that Imola is so in italy i think it's the yeah, thank you thanks Matt. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um 
into the hairpin, which I cannot remember for life, and it's going to be really annoying me. But um, but it's thrown up a load of drama, and it's thrown up some really good races. I believe the last one we had was two thousand and seven, there or two thousand and eight. But previously, it was it was in the refueling eras. Previously, so it's when Schumacher did the famous four stop strategy in two thousand and four, I believe. But it is actually a really really good track and reaped in history. The only problem is it's in the middle of nowhere, so the fans are hard to get to it the teams don't particularly like going there because it is in the middle of nowhere but it would be a really really good shout and that image of the first corner it's super fast and going up the straight is quite iconic for formula one in my opinion yeah i would say with magna court i've 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 made a whole video about this how much i advocate for it oh. and i've i made a whole video about which tracks i would rather see than paul ricard which are all in france and in tiktok a whole video is like 30 seconds so it won't take oh, any yeah. of Spare your time no time to, yeah, yeah go for it but <laughs> no i i going back to location that's actually a really big logistical issue that i don't think really is talked about a lot with tracks mm. because whilst funding of course is the biggest component logistically speaking if the cars can't get to the grid that is an issue and it's actually one of the things that's putting people off going to certain grand prix you know for like for example spa whilst it's one of the most iconic tracks on the grid and will always fingers crossed be on the grid one of my favorite grand prix that is also in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And logistically, it is a big headache. I don't care where the tracks are or the logistics because I can't afford to go to any Grand Prix. I just want the ones that look good on TV. I also have no strong political opinion, so I don't mind what's happening there. So please bring back the Malaysian Grand Prix because that is such a good track. Bring back uh, Shanghai because that is probably the best modern Grand Prix circuit the Indian Grand Prix is a, a great layout. The Korean Grand Prix, oh, but it's in a swamp and the journalists won't get their foie gras delivered to them in time. I don't care. It was a good track for modern race cars. What else am I missing? What what great modern tracks appeared in a flurry and then and then disappeared, Carl? Istanbul. Istanbul. Istanbul as well, yeah. Tilkers, yeah. Kyle Army. Kyle Army is an old school, very old yeah, school. Yeah, but, but so modern... iconic. Why don't yeah, I know Kyle Army? When was the last time Kyle Army in South Africa? Um, when was the last 1993 time? 1993 was the last Grand Prix. But it's had racing since then, so it's not completely you know, degraded and it's dead or whatever. Two, I think. Oh, so it needs right to be li- put up a listing then. So for a track to be used in Formula One, it needs to be grade one FAA listed. Yeah. So that would mm. need to be sorted out. But... And it would be fantastic for, for F1 to be represented on, on another continent and be a, a truly oh, international yeah. sport as well. Okay, so things that we want to leave behind in 2022 is a really rich topic. So um, to the panel, send me a message now in a mad panic if you need to go because I intend to answer a few of the listener ones that came in. So Sean Kelly, the F1 stat man, responded to my tweet. No big deal. It's just Name it's just a level <laughs> I'm at that the person who makes the commentators around the world sound like they know things about Formula One just casually replies to my tweet, Kyle. Yeah, it's boring, but, mm. you know, it's just part of my life. Part but does he life. have credentials? He does have credentials, yes. <laughs> Somebody challenged Sorry. him on one of his tweets yeah. and said, um, poor fella. Oh, said, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's your level of F1 stat knowledge? <laughs> well, I generate F1 stats for the entire world. So this is um, Sean Kelly, the virtual stat man. If you're not following him on Twitter, that is a big miss. Go and follow him. So I asked, copying from Antonio, what would you leave behind in 2022 in F1? Sean Kelly says, the incorrect definition of pole position. And this has confused me. And I had to basically say, well, I know what it is, Sean, but for the sake of those other idiots, which one should be pole? The person who 
is on pole f- who wins Friday qualifying, the person who wins the sprint race, or the person who starts on the grid on Sunday. Antonia, which one is pole position? Well, the definition of pole position comes from horse racing. Oh, does whereby, it? No. Yeah. No way. So it was where the horses started next to the pole, the <laughs> literal pole. Hence why it's called pole position. Uh, did everyone else know this? Is this common knowledge? No. No. Okay, so you've just taught us stuff. And we need oh, Well, that's what I'm here for. I assume you're Brilliant. a horsey person. You must know that then. No, I just it's oh, F1 right. so I know it. But anyway. Oh, that puts um, us to shame, doesn't it? Wow. That, <laughs> that's quite passive aggressive. Okay, so so pole, so pole position should be what, when they line up the first at the person race. on the yeah. grid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so in my opinion yeah. it should just be in after qualifying whoever is fastest gets pole position because they are the fastest person and they are starting on the grid first. But but okay, so in that scenario what if someone wins qualifying but then can't start the race? Then they're not on pole position because so, the pole position is a thing on the grid. So you only get the stat for most poles. It's only one if you line up on the Sunday. Is that in, in your if you're definition? Not there, if you're not there next to where the, the, the pole proverbial is. pole would be, you're not then, you're, you, then you're just the fastest on track. You can win in qualifying per se. And I, right, everyone's shaking their heads. Allow me to explain. Right. You can be the fastest in qualifying. You can be P1 in qualifying. Great. Good for you. Pat on the back. Awesome. But if you are not on at the pole position where the pole would be, <laughs> then you're not on pole position. So to back up Antonio a little bit, in the olden days, I don't know when this stopped happening, but on a Saturday, they would always, always describe it as provisional pole position. That's how they always described it. Matt, why is Antonio wrong? Uh, because the regulations prescribe pole position as the person who's fastest in qualifying. I mean, I hate to be really Which qualifying? dull and pedantic. The Friday qualifying. The, the elimination qualifying that we have on either Friday in a sprint race weekend or a Saturday. Um, and, and it has been that way for a long time. And if now, to be fair, I'm saying this because I have witnessed and experienced and lived through multiple Twitter rants of Sean <laughs> Kelly about this particular subject. So I feel I feel like I'm on solid yeah. ground here parroting his his thing. But it's always been you win pole position in qualifying and starting in the grid slot. Number one is not the same thing as having one pole position. Well, you can win pole position, but then not necessarily receive it. So you can say they they deserve pole position. They've earned pole position because they were the fastest, but they might not start the race on pole position. That's that's my take. But I, I do see where you're coming from. Well, I get that. I think the issue is that when they count up for the pole position trophies, it's based on where you finish in qualifying and not where you started in the race. And so so the official definition of pole position is who is quickest on either the Friday or the Saturday. Kyle. Besides, yep. Besides highlighting many issues with the sprint weekend, which I'm not going to go into, <laughs> which causes all of this. Um, yeah. I'm keeping my mouth shut on that thing. So we're saying like Charles Leclerc, Monaco 2020, he didn't start on pole. He got pole position, but didn't start on pole. Because remember, he hit the, the gearbox yeah. problem. So I agree with Antonia, what so, she says. So was so, that a pole? So was I agree the clerks there? Was that a pole? He was credited with pole position in the yes. stats. So that counts. But he didn't start on pole position. 
it so this is did like this is a weird one so i think for the stats if you're fastest in qualifying you are cred, you're credited with pole but if you start on the number one position on the grid but wasn't fastest in qualifying you've still started on pole if that makes any sense no that's such yeah. a good way of putting it it's a it's a credit so card not a de- debit card so <laughs> yes. you are owed pole position if you are the fastest but that it's not a debit card. It's not an automatic, right? You are starting in P1, then no matter what, you're starting in the pole position. It's mm. you're owed it. You might you might get paid it. We'll Absolutely. see. Absolutely, because Schumacher's last ever pole position in Formula One was the 2012 Monaco Grand Prix, but he didn't start on pole no, because he had the five place grid penalty. Yeah, he no. he was fastest in qualifying, so he was awarded pole position, but then had a five place grid penalty for a misdemeanor at the previous race. Oh, okay. So that's not the one where he parked it at Raskas. No, that was no. 2006. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And he wasn't going to get pole anyway, was he, on that? No. No. Well, okay. Well, he well he technically did, but then got sent to the back of the grid because right, they used to enforce the rules then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Okay, uh, so, uh, so Sean's reply was, the Sunday grid determines pole position for the Grand Prix because that's the Grand Prix. If Saturday's grid determines the pole for the Grand Prix, then Saturday is therefore the start of the Grand Prix and the red flag should be thrown to stop the race, not the checkered flag. Race then resumes on Sunday. So I have no idea. I think that is Sean's personal viewpoint, but the stats show that the pole position person is the person who wins qualifying. So that's what Matt is saying in the regulation. What Antonio is saying is that historically, and, and, and from the etymology of the word, the spirit of it is whoever starts next to the pole, i.e. P1, should have pole position. But the stats credit the winner of qualifying. Okay, final question. On a sprint weekend, who gets pole position? Mm-mm. Does anyone know? So we're, Person who is fastest no. in qualifying. On, which the qualifying? Friday qualifying. Isn't technically a sprint race a qualifying? Yeah, no, no, in no. In some ways? The sprint race is called sprint qualifying, so it should be qualifying. Oh. Right, so I rest my case. That's all dumb. Okay, there's um, some really good things of things we should leave <laughs> behind in 2022, but I think Matt has a chat room comment that he'd like to read out. Otherwise, you've laughed out loud for no reason and made a fool of me. Well, I, I, I laughed out loud. And this is dumb. Like your segue oh, was oh, excellent. Oh, you were laughing made at me. me. You actually made me laugh. But I will say uh-huh. that your surrounded by walls and hedonism has been nominated for a comment <laughs> of the week by none other than Maria. Brilliant. Brilliant. I did enjoy that comment. Okay. So looking down, there's some really good um, replies. So Toby says that perhaps gaslighting and toxic fan bases should be left behind in 2022. Oh, some of them are kind of fun. Only the ones I contribute to, not the other lot. That, that lot are wrong and toxic and, and they are the worst sprint races in singapore monaco and mexico we'll, we'll leave that for the second sino he's got a good one here uh porpoising they got the they got the better of it at the end uh, of the year but when you watch the highlights from the start of the season the cars look ridiculous bouncing down the straights they did look ridiculous car power similar to 2014 when cars were just stopping dead on track yeah renault's mostly stopping dead on track and being slower than GP2 mm. as well. Formula One should be it, like, like, like 2014 was a bit yeah. embarrassing, but the porpoising, um, yeah, I think we pretty much have said goodbye to it. And also because they've got 20, they've got 15 millimeter, I believe, raised on the side of the floor or 25 millimeters. They've now made 15. additional technical changes to counteract it. That's it. I think it's 25 millimeter higher throat in the diffuser and 15, what is it? Um, the floor 15 floor raised. edges. Yeah. 
Okay, so so that will further stop it as well. And they're getting used to this new simplified suspension. So I'll be surprised if we see porpoising as an issue anymore. Matt? Uh, except for, of course, the laws of physics will always disagree with you. Should an F1 team get something wrong? And so, I mean, yeah, it looked ridiculous, but also that's why we watch formula one here are the smartest people in the world being entirely wrong about a thing and in mercedes case for quite some time before they figured it out it's kind of fun yeah it was a case of there was an issue there was a lot of fumbling trying to find out what the issue was the root of it etc and it seems to have been pretty much resolved i mean i, th- I think i've explained this before but the the cause of porpoising was the air was getting trapped under the car and cooling down which then caused it to lift up and then new air was coming in. And this was due Wait, to the- Wait, is that what it new- was? I didn't know it was temperature related. Well, okay, I'll do a, a oh, dummy yeah, explanation. Yeah, do, it. do it. So basically the um, the aerodynamics of the cars were completely changed with the new, the, the new cars that came in in 2022. And that basically meant that more air was being directed underneath the car and that's and also ab- above to the rear wing. And that was in part to try and help with the dirty air issue. But with that came the fact that hot air- was being carried underneath the car to be then expelled backwards but it was so hot and it was getting trapped underneath the car because it had nowhere to go so then this hot air cooled down underneath the floor of the car and lifted the car up because it was trapped and more air was coming in that pulled the car down with the with the downforce and then it would get lifted up when the air cooled and then that was how the cycle of bouncing up and down happened because the car would lift it would get pulled back down again and vice you know it ended whatever and the reason that this got resolved was teams found ways to create channels in the floor of the car that allowed this air to escape but yeah so it seems as though it's been resolved but in essence the issue was just why on earth is this air not getting out how you know it it came down to aerodynamics basically really hoping this hadn't come up on tech time so that, and then that would out me as not having listened or paid close enough attention or fallen asleep before that explanation. But I, no, honestly, I, I, I thought it was kind of like a, you know, like a vacuum that was sucking it down, and then and then the cars coming down would, would mean that 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 would sort of break that vacuum and then put them back up. I had no idea it was you know temperature related or you know or any of the things Antonia said that I'm going to have to rewind and listen to again. Well, fundamentally, pressure, velocity, and temperature are all related. So the faster you go, the lower the pressure, the cooler the temperature. Okay, so like what Antonia said, but more boring. Antonia, you try again. Yeah, so the hot air is what pulls it to the floor. That's how oh, that's how the okay. cars don't take off. It's the downforce and the, the air is traveling underneath the car and it's sucked down. To, and that's why the cars were coming back down after they were bouncing back up again. Wait, wait, wait. So it is yep. due to being sucked down to the floor. Yes, oh, I see. Okay. In some ways. So just so I know how much attention I have to pay to this, Will it be an issue in 2023 at all? I very much doubt it. We all concur. Oh, it's quite techy. Mm. I forgot how techy this panel was. So you're all nodding. <laughs> Again, only uh, if they get their suspension settings wrong, will it be an issue? All right, then. Okay, let's move on to another question. Uh, we had somebody suggest Miami. Actually, we had a few people saying we should leave Miami in uh, in 2022. Tweet I like my fake marina. Said that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean the the fake marina came under quite quite a bit of quite a bit of criticism. But really, that was just a, a trackside feature. It was yes, it's funny to, to go. Okay, they tried to recreate Monaco and the, and the water wasn't real, but they did an homage to some of the great circuits around the world. There was a lot of gl- glamour. The track wasn't great, but fundamentally, 
I didn't like the race, but I like sort of it's quite American, isn't it? My my issue lies here. They built this circuit like an IKEA piece of furniture from a flat pack. <laughs> and you're yeah. telling me they couldn't have made it good? Uh yeah, it's not it's not like they didn't have historical things to draw upon. Um and yet they had lots of choke points in that track, which slowed people down. And, and there was that really like twisty quadruple chicane thing. Uh, there were so many places where I, I just took so many issues with it because there were so many good ideas. The whole, you know, getting Americans involved in the sport is with the new wave of fans. It's a fantastic idea. We, we need to engage more with American fans. And I just, it hurts to see what could be really good and has no excuse not to be being fumbled by these really weird technical attempts at making a good race that seem in many ways overthought. There is a good explanation, which I'm not going to steal from Matt. <laughs> I'm going to let him do that because okay. I know exactly what he's going to say at this next bit. Just say it, but steal it, say, steal it. So, so he's going to address what I call the clumsy flip-flop, which was, <laughs> which was the awful bit in that Miami thing. So yeah, they've kind of shoehorned it in. And also with Vegas coming as well, someone might need to tell Stefano that you need to finish in Middle East before you can have your America. He keeps trying to put in the extra sort of races into things which is good we need to tap into the american market but these races need to have a bit of maybe soul to them and miami i think yeah sort of missed oh, the soul you know bit a little bit maybe a bit superficial mm. a bit like you're trying to force it maybe in a five years we might look back fondly and be like oh yeah, actually that's really good and it becomes a nice mainstay but for the first sort of thing i don't think it was very warmly received by the wider thing i just I want to be careful like. when you're saying soulless and whatever I, I just want to be careful that you're not saying like not traditional or not british or not european or not maybe like, or, or, or not our f1 because that's claiming mm. ownership of f1 and saying that um, america has to do it the same way we do it and they don't they own it no, they, it's theirs yeah no, and, and they the don't saudis at all. and it looks cool going around the stadium and stuff but it looked a bit like an industrial state car park at times some of the bits they've tried to shoehorn in i think they just slightly missed the i just think they slightly missed the point with it a, sl- a tiny bit I think maybe the reason that a lot of these circuits, I, where you're coming from with that, that these aren't being particularly well received might be because they're putting a lot on our plates at once as fans. And mm. change is always better received when it's gradual. You know, you whack a new face on it, on something and it's not always particularly well received by fans because it's not the warm, cozy, regular, <laughs> samey old thing that everyone's used to. Why can't so, every track be Silverstone? yeah well you know of course i think the main issue is with all of these new tracks coming in i do think it was an inevitability that they were coming in and like kyle said stepping into the um, american market is a huge step that does need to be taken but (laughs) yes with all of this change at once and all of these new circuits at once as fans i can understand why we're not as receptive to these new circuits as F1 as a corporation might want us to be. Well, uh, Matt, we should just state for complete um, clarity and full disclosure, you and I, yes. any objections we have to the Las Vegas Grand Prix have, have disappeared very quickly in, in recent weeks. I don't think we ever had any. No, I, I think we always about. loved the Las Vegas Grand Prix and it's going to be brilliant and it's definitely a good idea. Yeah, so Miami oh, was intended as a destination Grand Prix. It's like Singapore, it's like Monaco. It was meant for your wheelers and your dealers and your jet setters to go and have a great time in Miami, which is, if you're that kind of a person, a great town to be in. And with regards to the track, like 
okay, so I get from a racing point of view what you're saying about that corner. But that corner was an exercise in technical ledger domain that will never be bettered because they had to fit it under a bridge and they had to meet all the FIA safety requirements <laughs> about it. And it was it was an astonishing uh, feat of technical expertise to make that corner work. Mm. Now, granted, it was terrible for racing, and they've admitted as much, and we'll probably not put it there next time they have a race in Miami. But I think we can just appreciate it for the masterpiece that it was. Perhaps the issue with that then lays in the fact that it's a little bit incongruous, perhaps, to the setting of Miami, which is... I don't know what incongruous means. You're going to have to help me. It doesn't quite match up. Ah. These incredible technical feats of track workmanship or whatever the correct word for that would be, it it doesn't seem well placed at Miami mm-hmm. because yeah. Miami was a Grand Prix on surface level that's made to attract the fans. Like like you said, Trump, it's, it's a show race It's and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a destination Grand Prix, but having these intricate small details that perhaps people who were just going there for the atmosphere and for the joy of watching f1 might not pick up on and you know sometimes you do just want to see a bunch of overtakes in a really Mm. great race because it is really hard to appreciate a fantastic engineering aerodynamic feat in the wider setting of a grand prix like miami but you're asking what you're saying is give in the context of every street track being indefensively bad except maybe baku sometimes please create a street circuit which is brilliant and incorporates all the things we want from racing. It's an even bigger ask when you put it that way. In some ways, yes. But I I just think in terms of the overall feel of the circuit, the actual racing itself has to match that. You know, Mm. if they're promising us, like Las Vegas, a big celebration of F1, a huge, splendid display of just all (laughs) of the biggest and best things about F1 – People aren't going to be so interested in seeing a driver skillfully navigate an incredibly complex high downforce series of turns so much as they just want to see the cars go past really quick and make some pretty nifty overtakes. Nifty. Nice. Hmm. I hope nifty makes a comeback as a word. Kyle. Should be. Yeah, it's a good point by Antonio there. Um, Like, you know, the... the traditionalists, the purists amongst us probably want to see a Formula 1 car in its natural habitat, lovely flowing fast corners with some overtaking sort of bits. But Morgan in the chat makes a very good comment there and says it it, it has the Formula E bit. So that mm. horrible, the clumsy flip-flop going through these awkward little bits, as Matt expertly explained, that they had to do to get it under the thing, wasn't very miami it didn't. It it just didn't quite fit the bill. So I think yes, they've done these event grand prix at these street circuits, and it's yeah, they've tried to make it a destination thing, but it still has to suit, and it looks mm. a bit. It just didn't sit well with the fans, or looked a little bit drab, really, and it just clumsy car park sort of, you know, Alan Partridge style. Give me a bit of chalk, and we'll draw it in a pub car park and do it. If you don't, Sky will. Um, and it it seems like the same sort of sort of style so yeah i just think they missed the ticket there it didn't look glamorous put it that way it didn't fit the bill yeah well i think the issue is less whether the track looked glamorous and whether or not miami was glamorous enough for the corporate bigwigs and jet setters that came to party in it all week and i think we have to accept that if you're going to have races like spa and maybe even silverstone that are no longer being 
put on the escalator by Liberty to pay more and more money every season for their rights, Mm. then we might have to accept that we have a few of these, I don't know, destination events that continue to pay those kinds of bills. Although in this case, I believe firmly the story that is entirely entirely speculative that it was just a favor to Donald Ross for dropping out of the bidding for Formula One back in, back when Liberty was bidding for it. I, I completely agree. Change is the springboard to longevity in Formula One, that the only way that F1 is going to stand the test of time is by leaning in perhaps to some of the more negative stereotypes that are coming up in the past few years with fans Mm. just wanting to watch a race and not necessarily get into all of the tech and all of the intricate details and yeah just have a massive show race per se a destination race that Mm. brings a lot of people in brings a lot of money into the sport and yeah people who don't necessarily know their drs from their ers can just go and enjoy the race because you know we as fans as as long Mm. My only my only thing would just be as long as these races don't replace the classic circuits that are integral to the nature of the sport, like Spa, like Monza, Imola, that would be my only thing. However, in order to engage with the American market, in order to engage with the fact that this is a world championship, not <laughs> just a European championship like it used to be, we need to have these races. When you when you you're on a panel with middle aged men, you when you said you need to embrace change, we all like shied away from it like vampires with holy water. Like, ah, no, change is bad. Change is bad. Uh, but I just want to point out a stat. It might seem irrelevant, um, but our highest performing episode of 2022, as it normally is, except for 2021, is in in the European season. Normally peaks at the German Grand Prix. Um, wasn't one in 2022 so the hungarian grand prix uh, was where we peaked with 17,000 youtube views and 36,000 podcast downloads so that's a a total of over 53,000 in our audience for a single episode and i only point that out because i think that's a reasonably large audience and my opinion of your track will change if me and to a lesser extent matt get paddock passes i just want to throw that out there very much to tuning into Missed Apex podcast. Please go and follow my panel at Kyle Power. I oh, know, hang on, at Kyle Power F1. You went, you went, you went all yes. in and embraced the F oneness there, Kyle. I was um, just simply trying to avoid an underscore. Yes, no underscores are terrible, and I have managed to convince quite a few of the panel to change their 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 Twitter handles with underscores in, and I'm glad they did it. But I lost respect for them for <laughs> caving so easily so at Kyle Power F1 with increasingly grumpy and forthright opinions on there <laughs> follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter we've got links in the show notes let's include some links to your wife's romantic novels so people can write them yeah let's do that you can do that at A Weaver writes writes um well, they're mucky books, Matt. They're mucky books, uh, but some people are into that sort of thing. Uh, but they do have... Do they have a story? I only read them for the stories, to be honest, Matt, for the plot. That's what I read they them They have for. actually excellent stories. I Her know. dialogue is, is, is a particular feature. Her dialogue is very, very good. And, you know, uh, being the partner of a writer, I've read <laughs> them all, and they are good in their own mm. merit. You don't have to be a romance reader. 
and and try to not enjoy. Yeah, yeah. try not to think too hard about where her inspiration for her romantic leads came from that is essentially matt trumpet's fan fiction <laughs> that could be an incentive or, or a disincentive but the link will be in the show notes below uh, at matt pt 55 on twitter and matt trumpets on facebook and instagram and stuff like that we've got antonia rankin on tiktok tiktok.com forward slash f1 antonia to get to your tiktok and the link will be in the notes below but you need an app an app is a program that does things that you can get from the play store or the apple store and then you can go and enjoy all that kind of stuff and, and to be honest I, I know people are quick to dismiss tiktok i actually have to delete it periodically because i i'm so addicted to the quality of the content that gets just fed to you i, I don't think i'm being controversial here i think tiktok at the moment has the richest quality of content creators Oh, a hundred percent. There is genuine, there's beginning to be actually almost an oversaturation mm. of each of the markets because everyone's trying so hard yeah. to find a niche within the space. But yeah, no, since me starting my TikTok a year ago, my dad's got pretty hooked. Yep. So, you know, it's, it is for everyone. <laughs> I think so as well. Um, and also you're on Twitter. How can we find you on Twitter? Oh, goodness. Uh, Antonia J. Rankin. Okay. And that is uh, all of those links will be in the show notes below. Of course, follow me at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. And if you want to help us push forward with confidence, why don't you join what I would say now is a, a small army of Patreon supporters. So patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And that will really help us push into 2023. We want to bring you race previews. We want to do our, our patron pub nights, extra Patreon content we have a plethora of absolutely fantastic special guests to bring you uh obviously we, we still I've, I've got my race review panel i know who i want on my race reviews but we've got people coming in all the time that are bringing in specialist topics for those magazine shows where we pre-record segments and put them all together and absolutely top work from uncle steve from the missed apex broom cupboard bringing some winter content while i was away on my travels we will see you next sunday but until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.